this episode of 9-2-Y Talks, Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss, founders of the cryptocurrency exchange Gemini, discuss the future of money with Bitcoin billionaires, author Ben Mesrick, and the Wall Street Journal's Paul Vigna. The event was recorded on July 9th, 2019, in front of a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. Twins writers. <laughs> you can tell us apart, right? You got it. <laughs> Rowers, coxswains. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we get started, I was going to do this, and now I realize with the lights, I'm not going to be able to tell at all. But I want to take a quick survey. Uh, how many people own Bitcoin? Mm. I know I can see at least one. Or, yeah, you guys, if you don't, <laughs> there's going to be a panic. People will think you liquidated. So you have to raise your hands. Uh, hey, that's great. Thank you. How many people hold Bitcoin right now? Okay, pretty good crowd. How many people know what Bitcoin is? Hey, look at this. This is getting easier over the years. Um, so just to define the terms quickly, either Cameron or Tyler, whichever one, why don't you just tell us what Bitcoin is? Sure. We think of Bitcoin as a digital gold, so gold 2.0, but it's money, the first type of money that was ever built purposely for the internet. So it's sort of like what your email did to snail mail. Um, cryptocurrency or Bitcoin does for money. I agree with okay. that statement. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> um, so, look, I, I want to talk about a, a lot of things. I'm going to try to structure this in, in a way I think makes sense, but if we go off topic, that, that's fine. You guys will rein us all in. Uh, ben, I wanted to ask you first. Yeah. Obviously, you wrote Accidental Billionaires Social Network. I mean, you had covered Cameron and Tyler. But what led you from that to, to this book, to Bitcoin sure. Billionaires? Like, what was the, the evolution of, of your interest in it and the point where you got, where you decided, oh, oh there's another book here? Yeah. yeah, so when I wrote Accidental Billionaires, this was like a decade ago, um, I had no idea that I would be revisiting any of the characters, and I probably could not have guessed that it would have been the Winklevoss twins. <laughs> um, they were a very big source for me in that book. Um, I had met them through Facebook, actually, um, right after Eduardo, <laughs> Eduardo had come to me, and I went from that and found these guys, and they were very helpful in writing it, but that movie didn't portray them necessarily in the best light, um, and uh, I take responsibility for that to some extent. When I first met them in New York, um, they walked into the room, and, you know, let's be fair, they look like something out of Greek mythology, um, and I immediately remembered every 80s movie I'd ever seen, and they were the bad guys chasing the karate kid around the gym. And so unfairly, I think I wrote it to some extent, and then Aaron Sorkin took it to a whole other level, as he does. And the movie was wonderful, and Army Hammer was incredible, but that was, I thought, it. And about a year and a half ago, I saw in the New York Times a headline that said the, they were the first Bitcoin billionaires. And over the years, people have been pitching me stories about Bitcoin, and I had no interest in it. Um, because the word blockchain makes my eyes glaze over. It's the most <laughs> horrible word in the world. And it just sounded like something that wasn't exciting. Um, but that blew my mind, because people don't have second acts like that. You don't have characters who are part of one revolution, Facebook, and then suddenly part of another revolution. It's not, lightning doesn't strike like that you know, by accident. So I came into New York, and they were gracious enough to, to talk to me after the movie. Um, and uh, this story just was unbelievably compelling to me. And that made me want to revisit them 
and realize how much we got wrong about them. Was there any, how much did the Bitcoin aspect of it play into it? In other words, if Tyler and Cameron had decided after all that mishgosh with, with Facebook, you know, we're going to do a healthcare startup. Right. No. Would no, you still have written the book? Uh, of course, no. So when I sat down with them, but see, that's the thing. I try and choose stories that are about the next big thing that's going to affect all of our lives. Previous to meeting them, I did not know anything about Bitcoin. I thought it was a scam. I thought it was, you know, some of you might still think that, but I thought this is not, you know, anything that important. Once I sat down and started hearing about what it really was and how it could change the world, I realized this really was the cusp of something enormous. Um, so that's what drew me to it. Plus, there's exciting characters. The story takes place in the wild west of Bitcoin. So, you know, it, it's this crazy battle between philosophies and all of this kind of stuff that really turned me on. Yeah. You know, I have to say, honestly, my, my first reaction to Bitcoin, too, was this is a scam. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to write about it either. I was very much against it. Uh, so in writing this book and spending however much time you spent with Cameron and Tyler, how did your impression of them evolve and change? And yeah. what led you to think that these guys are not the karate kid? Right. You know, <laughs> the guys in the skeleton cut. Yeah, you know, movie like um, villains. You know, honestly, I got to know them a lot more. And, and these are guys, you know, who speak multiple languages, who are Latin scholars, who, you know, we think they come from this privileged background. But the reality is they're from a line of coal miners and their, their mother's uh, father was a cop. They, they come from a very... Um, background of hard work, and they were not the people that I thought they were. These are guys who could computer code. And, you know, bringing Mark Zuckerberg into their world was something they did because they trusted him. It wasn't because, you know, he was needed. It was because they trusted that he would do the job they wanted him to do. And then, in the end, he screwed them. And I think I, getting to know them more, uh, I realized that they had been painted, not just by me, but by the press afterwards, because they were Olympic rowers. So every shot of them was in a boat. And, and every sort of yeah. article about them was, was, was somewhat jokey. Um, but the reality was these are guys who really were transforming the world, not because they needed money. It wasn't about money. It was about they wanted to build something great. And, and there's this whole, I see them as American icons. Of, 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 there's something 1950s about them, but there's something that's heroic. And America needs mythology. Um, and as much as I think Zuckerberg is now flipped and become something much darker, um, these guys represent something. Yeah. <laughs> I hope his family isn't here. And, and listen, he's <laughs> very smart, very smart, successful guy. But I think that they represent something really important, uh, entrepreneurship. And you see this in this second act, yeah. and they've built a, a, a business. Here. Yeah, and it, it feels weird for you and I to be asking these questions and talking about two guys right, who are sitting, sitting right there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, fellas. Hey. But I, I did want to ask you one more question. Do you feel like, was there, is there a kernel of what exists within these two gentlemen that was another aspect in convincing you to write this book? Yeah. Oh, I don't know what you're getting at specifically, but I would say... One it was of, about as open-ended a question right. as I could ask. I would say what really intrigued me is Bitcoin came from a world of these crazy libertarian anarchists and drug dealers and criminals. And it was this kind of thing that was used originally on something called Silk Road, which was a drug bazaar on the dark web. All of these things that, you know, would immediately make my dad want to turn off the computer, right? But um, I would say, he's right here so I can say, I, I can even ask him. But then the Winklevoss twins come in, and these guys are the men of Harvard, the guys in suits 
what intrigued them about Bitcoin? And that fascinated me because they're trying to take Bitcoin out of this cowboy wild west. And there's a real division. There are people in Bitcoin who don't like the idea of regulation or the idea of it becoming a part of the financial system. They want to use it to take down the world. And the fact that they were interested in it really intrigued me because you would think that guys like this would have shied away from it, but they saw something in it, and I think that was interesting. Yeah. Um, Cameron and Tyler, let's pretend Ben's not here now. Okay. <laughs> How did you feel about your portrayal? I mean, I, it's, look, r rather than trying to be academic about it, I mean, what is it like to open up a book and read about yourself, to see someone describe you and talk about what you are like, and not just once, but now twice? What, is that, what does that feel like? I mean, it's, it's very surreal, um, but I don't see myself when I look at Cameron, even though we look identical. So when I read this book and it's about me, I don't really, you know, at least the first, you know, saw the movie, I really enjoyed the movie, but I wasn't like, oh, that's me, but it's a portrayal. So it wasn't that weird because people think I'm him too. <laughs> Nobody thinks their story's that interesting. And then we were talking to Benny, started pulling it out of us. And we're like, there might be something here for, for a book. But we didn't think it was actually that interesting because we kind of lived in it and swam in it for years. And that yeah. was just normal for us. Did you, when, and what was the whole process of you deciding to write the book, you telling them they're going to write a book. Did you want another book written about you? I mean, you can't stop him from writing another book. I mean, right, right. How, did that whole, how did that whole dance take place? You know, I think we didn't know there was necessarily a story. I think when you're living your life, it's like you're swimming, you can't see the color of the water, right? You're in crypto and it's exciting, but you don't really see that larger perspective that someone else sees. But Ben was like, hey, um, I want to hear what you guys are up to. Um, about Bitcoin, and we started talking, and then we're like, actually, that was really interesting, and there's a story here, and it bended his genius ability to sort of draw that story arc and tell our story um, through Bitcoin, or Bitcoin, the story of Bitcoin through us and some other characters, and sort of really humanized it, and the tensions and the different philosophies that come to a head in the book of, should this thing be regulated, should it not, is it for anarchists, libertarians, or is there something in the middle. So kind of through talking, he convinced us that it was a really interesting story. And, and of course it, it is. Um, but I think when it's your life, I don't think anyone wakes up and is like, my life is like a movie or a book every day, even though it might be. Even though it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, whoa, someone said, whoa. Was that Ben's father? <laughs> Uh, how closely did you guys all collaborate? And I'm very interested now that you, you said that the, the Nathaniel Popper piece in the Times was the thing that kind of popped out. That was, I think that was about December 2017. It was right towards the, the height right. of the mania. So you wrote this pretty fast. I do write very quickly to... Um, yeah. Yeah. So how closely did you all collaborate? And so the process much... really was, I, I, once I met with them and I said I want to do this and they agreed to allow me to, to try and do it, um, I sat with them a, enough times to get them to tell me stories, and I have them tell me story after story. And then I find the other characters in the story. So there's a guy named Charlie Schrem, who was kind of the first guy to go to jail for Bitcoin. Um, you know, he's a, he was an 18-year-old kid in his mother's basement who created a company where you could buy and, well, with them, they, they funded it to buy and sell Bitcoin. Unfortunately, he allowed people to buy Bitcoin and then buy drugs with it. Um, didn't just allow it, but kind of was excited about it, um, which is a big no-no. Um, so he went to jail, came out, and so I spent time with him. 
um, spent time with in speaking to the other character, Roger Ver, who's this crazy anarchist uh, who gave up his citizenship after going to jail for a year for selling explosives over the internet. Um, you know, there's an interesting group of people in the story. Um, so I, I talked to everybody, and then I, I just wrote as quickly as I could. But they know this subject so much better than I do that I, they were gracious enough to go through it and make sure I was doing it correctly. Um, you know, I write very fast. I write a book in three months. Um, so that's, that's uh, uh, then the process of making sure it's accurate is, right. is longer than that. That's super fast, by the way. That's extremely fast. Right. Um, um, but I'm different than you or, or a lot of journalists. <laughs> I won't go after a story if the main characters aren't willing to tell me the story. So I'm not one of those journalists who tries to, you know, get inside yeah. something where people don't want you. Yeah. Um, I want to be the fly on the wall that, that you don't squash. Well, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the story now. I mean, we seem to be we're getting towards that anyhow. So um, Cameron and Tyler, I don't know. Do you want to just kind of tell us how you got introduced to Bitcoin? So we were on an island in the middle of the Mediterranean, Ibiza. Right. Um, in, your, in your totally non-film cinematic story. No, was, you know, very boring right. Hanging out on setting. a beach. Yeah, yeah. Um, on a beach. Right. Not looking for the next big thing. And this guy from Brooklyn recognized us from the social network and said, have you thought about Bitcoin or virtual currency? And I said, no. And he started telling us about it. At first, it sounded really weird. And then after some tequila, it started to make a lot of sense. <laughs> See, if you had tequila the first time you heard about Bitcoin... Then, yeah, it might have right? been, been different. So you, 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 it's interesting, actually, because you guys pretty quickly, tequila aside, uh, saw the potential of this, and you wanted to get involved. And you started out by just buying some, and then you decided to become investors in, in Charlie's company, BitInstant. Let, let's talk a little bit, and this becomes a major point in the book, Ben, obviously, right. is, is the tension between those two visions uh, from the very start, you guys had a certain vision of how you thought this industry should grow. And there are others who had a different vision of how this industry should grow and what it should be and what this technology even represents. And that, that, fra that, that friction, that schism is still there. Mm -hmm. But let's talk a little bit about what you wanted Bitcoin and cryptocurrency to be and that tension between your other partners in BitInstant. Right. So we very much live the Wild West days of Bitcoin. And a lot of our early Bitcoin that we bought, we had to buy on this exchange called Mt. Gox. And uh, Mt. Gox is probably the best pivot in the world. It's actually an acronym for Magic the Gathering Online Exchange. It was a magic card game exchange that went into to crypto. And it was run by two Frenchmen who had cats in Tokyo. Um, so we had to apostille documents to onboard to this exchange, uh, wire our money overseas. It was completely unregulated, go through, jump through hoops of fire to actually buy this stuff. And the technology uh, was really poor. Um, and as we know, it was famously hacked or they lost the private keys right. or it was either their incompetence or hackers, but they lost um, almost a billion dollars at the time, which by today's prices is probably a lot more. Um, so we love this technology, and when we first saw it, like you, we're like, why is this different than PayPal? Why is this not a Ponzi scheme? Why is it not airline miles? Um, but it was really money that went over internet protocols the same way voice now goes over the internet. So Skype, you can video someone for free anywhere before there was long-distance phone charges, and it was expensive to call someone from New York to 
you know, California, now no one even thinks about, millennials don't know about right. long distance phone charges. So this is what was happening with money, with Bitcoin. Um, so we l saw the promise, and when you talk to a Bitcoin back, Bitcoiners, what we call people in Bitcoin, um, the passion, you know, these are people that are putting every penny of their lives into this thing, and you just look them in the eyes and they have great answers for every question, but it was such a wild west, so we thought that, like, for this to really grow, it would have to change. Um, and then investing in BitInstant and Charlie, um, taught us exactly sort of what not to do <laughs> if you're running a financial services company. Um, and we ended up founding our own company called Gemini that's regulated in the state of New York um, to solve our own problem effectively. How, how hard was it to get that regulation to go through that whole process? Were there, I mean, how many doors got closed in your face? I mean, you walk in and you say, hey, we got a Bitcoin business. We want to join the world. Uh, how hard was that to come at it from, to come at the legitimate world from the Wild West? It took us a year and a half to get our trust company license in New York. So we were building the platform while we were getting that license. But we couldn't get a banking account. A bank account, a simple thing like that to hold customer right. funds took about a year to, to get. Yeah. Um, because we were lucky to get Banks one. wanted nothing to do with They didn't want to touch the yeah. word I mean, Bitcoin. Like enough. the cannabis industry, like yeah. banking. Um, yeah. was really hard. For any other startup, it's really easy to get a bank account. Um, for a crypto startup, even one with a New York trust company license, that's the same license that Bank of New York, State Street, the two oldest companies in the country started out with, um, um, you know, still wasn't enough. And even to this day, it's hard to, you know, get new relationships. It's, we have State Street now that banks are Gemini Dollar or Stablecoin, um, but that was actually the hardest part of it. It took a year to onboard with them. They come in, do diligence for six months, and that process should probably take like a week if you're a hedge fund yeah. and you need a cash treasury account. Um, so we don't deal with the fiat portion. We deal with everything else at Gemini. So we rely on bank partners to hold, take wires and things like that into our omnibus account. Um, so that's still challenging to this day. And even banks who want to get involved in crypto, like Goldman Sachs, hasn't got approval from the Fed to actually handle the Bitcoin. So they do synthetic products that give you Bitcoin exposure, but um, even they have trouble. So the regulatory, a lot of things have thought out with the regu like When we first got in, it was, it was like, is this going to be illegal kind of thing? That was like the question. Right. So we're past that, but there are still, it's still sort of slow moving in certain areas. Right. I mean, there's still, there's a tremendous amount of friction because you have some companies that are absolutely determined to operate outside of the, the lanes, the regulatory lanes, and you have others that are trying to build within that. How does that, how does that affect you? Uh, how does that affect you as you're building the company? Because, I mean, look, right. I, you look at Bitcoin volume, most of it is coming from these unregulated exchanges, domiciled wherever they can find. So how do you deal with the fact that that is not going away necessarily and you're trying to build, you're, you're trying to use the same technology to build a slightly different business. How do, you, how do you deal with that friction? Yeah, we're playing the same game but very differently and we're playing the long game. So we think in the future, the customers, the big macro hedge funds and stuff will want to work at places like Gemini that are regulated that ask for permission not forgiveness. We think the offshore game is a limited time only, but there's a lot of people going after that and definitely making money in the meantime. Our mantra is that we want to be the fastest tortoise in the race. Um, 
But it's still, been, it's still been challenging because even if you scream from the rooftops, hey, we want to do this the right way, there's still not a fast path in the U.S., at least right now at the SEC or CFTC. So that would be my criticism or my fear about the U.S. is that even if you want to do things the right way, there isn't a clear path in certain areas. Um, so I think it's a big disadvantage for us compared to the rest of the world. Um, where people are just building and innovating at the speed of innovation, not at the speed of government. And it's not a US-centric technology. It's global asset. Anybody in this room, but anybody in the world with an internet connection can buy Bitcoin. So they're not going to wait around for the US to catch up or take its time and do its right. thing. And this is the first time retail has actually driven, led the charge. Usually it's Sand Hill Road, VCs, accredited mm -hmm. investors things go IPO and it gets dumped on retail after it goes to public markets a decade after the company's founded. This is actually retail driven and Wall Street's asleep at the wheel. And then when they woke up, they couldn't um, figure out how to get their compliance departments to sign off or the regulators to get comfortable with them as a regulated bank touching Bitcoin or custing Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. So it's the first time where the little guy actually is, is there and you know, has an advantage structurally because they don't have the compliance, the legal departments holding them back. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So for, for you guys, that sort of friction between a regulated and unregulated world, I mean, that, that's, that's just part of the, your real life. For you, that was uh, an angle in a story. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting to, it was, inter it was interesting to me in reading the book is that Yes, it's about Tyler and Cameron, but Charlie ends up becoming a major character in yeah. the book, almost as important as these guys are in terms of a story, narratively. Right. And you have him sitting between these two worlds. Right, they're pulling at him. He's this yeah. kid who he's, he's definitely excited by the Roger Vares of the world, who are these anarchists who think Bitcoin should be to no taxes and nobody knows who you are and you can buy drugs and no one will ever know and everything should be legal and free. Um, and then these guys who say, you know, you've got to be a good CEO, you have to be a, you're your CEO and compliance officer. That's not a good thing. Right. You've got to figure <laughs> yourselves out. And there's a, you know, a great story where, where Charlie ended up moving out of his house and living above a club. Um, and they're trying to bring him to these important meetings with very important hedge funds and people like that. And Charlie shows up and looks like, He's a disaster. I mean, he's a disaster, and it's it's um it's well, he's a he's a disaster because he got rich quick. He's a young kid yeah, who lived kid at home, and we can and all he's, he's identify living the with life. that, right? But right. he got pulled in the wrong direction, and I have a lot of sympathy for Charlie. Charlie's a very I like Charlie. person. I, I know you guys and, had a falling out with Charlie. Well, Sorry, I think but uh, cool yeah. now. Yeah. Charlie's he read the book and he called me up and he said it made him cry, and I think that that's oh, yeah. sweet. That's great. Um, you know, it was a terrifying thing. He was arrested at JFK. Right. Um, they drag him into a cell, and they say he's facing 20 years in prison for selling Bitcoin. Um, you know, he ended up doing two years because he took an agreement. Um, he's got his feet back under him at this point, but it, it's a very compelling story. But I am compelled by the drama of it, similar to the social network. It, Facebook, I don't care about Facebook. I care about this battle between people trying to create something that changes the world, and it's that internal drama of people... That's yeah. what really gets the story going. Yeah. Uh, so much to talk about. One thing I wanted to ask you about is, is the f you do spend a lot of time talking about Bit Instant and Charlie and those guys and that time frame of 2013, 2014, yes. which I thought was interesting because 2017 is when your main characters actually become the 
title of this story. Billionaires. When Bitcoin, you know. right. So was there a conscious decision to focus on those earlier days so, rather than, because 2017, I don't know how many of you guys were around for the 2017 run. That was just as crazy. When Bitcoin ran to 20,000. Yeah. So these guys, to put it in perspective, in 2012, when they heard about Bitcoin, they bought into Bitcoin at $7 a coin. Um, and, uh, you know, the numbers that I believe are accurate is they bought 1% of all Bitcoin. Um, so ended up turning yeah. dollars into billions of dollars, which is incredible. Um, the origin story is what attracts me. Similar to how the social network is about that first year of Facebook. So zero users to 500 million users. Now Facebook is many billions of users and has become something totally different. This book is about zero to 10,000 because that was the moment that they became billionaires. But that tells you the origin of Bitcoin. And 20 years from now, if Bitcoin really is the thing that one thinks it might be, this will be the book hopefully people look at and say, okay, that was the origins of it. And I think it's a, they are a great vehicle to tell the origins of this story um, because they were there from the early days, but they were also there from that transformation from the wild west of Bitcoin to Bitcoin being something that might come out of ATM machines. Yeah. And does come out of ATM machines in some places. <clears throat> Let's talk a little bit about the... I know someone's going to get me some questions from the audience too, right? Someone's going to hand me those cards. I'm not forgetting. Uh, but I want to talk to you guys about the sort of the, the state of crypto right now. If you would just kind of spend a couple of minutes, just where do you think it is? What do you think it is doing well? What does it need to do? Uh, I have my own opinions about all that, but you know, I, I, we want to hear what you guys have to say. Where do you think Bitcoin and crypto is right now? It's still very early. Um, institutions, everybody knows about it. Everyone's heard about it. And there's some very sophisticated people in even these banks who know about cryptocurrency. But they're still not really in the game yet. It's still very much a retail-driven market. Um, very much a lot of the actions out in Asia. So we, we still think it's the bottom of the first inning. It's, if you read this book, you understand how we got here and how far it's come. But it's also just sort of the beginning in a lot of ways. Um, so I don't know. If yeah, I mean, the price peaked about 18 months ago, about 20,000. It went down to about 3,000. It's recovered to about 12,000. But we're still far off that peak. But so much has happened. Uh, Gemini, we have about 230 employees today. Um, almost everybody's from financial services or Google, Airbnb big name companies that you use, that are part of your everyday life. And these folks have all decided they need to be in crypto. And they weren't in crypto two or three years ago. Um, when we started five, you know, Gemini five years ago, it was a core team of 10 people. And these were like really early people. Um, but today, people you know, are moving into the space at a rapid rate. And so if you, when I look around our office at the intellectual capital and these smart, brilliant people, uh, working in crypto. I talked to somebody who's a senior at Dartmouth. She grew up on my road uh, earlier today, and she's trying to figure out where she wants to go, and, and she's like a computer engineer. She's at Dartmouth. She's probably going to come into crypto or somewhere around it. So all these young, brilliant people are moving into the space, which is super exciting. So we made a lot of progress, but there's still a lot, a lot to go. And I think if we were to look back to the dot-com era, you know, maybe we're post-2000, uh, you know, um, boom and bust. Maybe we're in 2001, and Facebook launches. You know, within two or three years of that, um, Amazon's still 
a, a small company, relatively speaking. But what's so exciting about this revolution, as opposed to the internet revolution, is back then, there might have been 100 million homes in America with you know, broadband mm -hmm. connections. Today, everybody in this room has a more powerful computer in their pocket. Right. They've got faster internet connections um, anywhere they walk in this city, even in the subway. Um, so they're so you know they're all onboarded in and ready to to basically be part of this. There's nothing stopping them from buying a piece of Bitcoin in that future. But in the late '90s, pre Amazon IPO stock, you had to be invested an angel investor in the valley, valley, and that club might have been 50 people or something, um, or in one of those funds on Sandhill Road that invested in one of those rounds. And by the time Amazon got to the street. That's when retail, the, the little guys, could get into it. Um, and it still would have been a good investment, but you don't have to wait for an IPO. Bitcoin IPO 10 years ago. It's sitting out in the open. Right. And it's just a matter of whether you want to make that decision. And you, if you decide that this is the software version of gold, and if you agree with that thesis, then you know, why wait? Yeah. Right. And the, the gold market cap is $7 trillion. Bitcoin's $250 billion, So... There's maybe a 30x. And that's just the digital gold version, right? There's so many other things and mm -hmm. problem space. Um, the use case is still buy, sell, uh, invest. Yeah. Um, the decentralized web 3.0, the whole new internet, hasn't even really arrived. Right. Um, but there will be things that are we call crypto-native that couldn't exist without crypto. Like Facebook couldn't exist without the internet. Twitter couldn't exist with their internet native. There's nothing you can point to that's that they're like offline. And that will happen in crypto. We don't know exactly what that will be, but we'll, there'll be use cases that, you know, a crypto native couldn't happen before that everybody uses and sort of yeah. blows your mind. You know, speaking of Facebook, <laughs> there, there's a character What's in this that? book. <clears throat> yeah, it's a, it's a little online site, you know. Uh, there's a character in this book who appears, who shows up at the very beginning, shows up at the very end again. Uh, some of you may have heard of him, uh, named Mark Zuckerberg. I, and as I was reading it, one thing I, I wanted to ask you guys was, did you ever think, and I have to preface this, in case anyone doesn't know, uh, Facebook announced a couple of weeks ago that they are going to launch their own cryptocurrency with a bunch of corporate partners, and I hear some skittering, so you guys heard about that. Okay, good. They called it Libra. Coincidentally, after they launched Gemini, Mark Zuckerberg launches Libra. Coincidentally. So I'm just pointing that out. Um, <laughs> it, it, is, it is almost amazing to me the degree to which your lives and Mark Zuckerberg's life seem to be intertwining. <laughs> Did you ever think that this guy would end up becoming such a, I don't want to say a big, but such a recurring part of your life? I mean, he's really not, like, <laughs> I don't wake up sort of thinking about it, although I get the perception of, like, yeah, in, the, in popular culture, in that sort of uh, parallel universe, it's like, yes, it's the twins and Zuckerberg again. Yeah, see, writers um, like that. Are you blaming yeah. it on me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's your world. People like Ben connect all the dots, and we're like, oh, okay. But we actually grew up um, 20 miles away from each other. We grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut. He grew up in Dobbs Ferry. So this has been happening since, you know, yeah. for 30, 38 years now. He coxed at Exeter, I think, on the crew team. Uh, <laughs> we rode. So. I just want to say that I wrote this book a year before Zuckerberg launched Libra, and the book ends with Zuckerberg launching Libra. Or writing about <laughs> writing, launching. Thinking about yeah, launching thinking about, yeah. cryptocurrency, and in my book, 
I believe it's all personal, right? I know you're going to disagree. <laughs> but I, don't know. I feel like I, I, I frame the book like The Count of Monte Cristo um, because I think there's this really cool theme where these guys were wronged and they went away and then they reappear riding back into town as the crypto billionaires and Zuckerberg now has to face that fact and then launches his own Libra, which might just be a coincidence. It seems a little odd to me, but um, I do think that there is somewhat of an engine. Not that you wake up every day thinking about Mark Zuckerberg, but that him, the, what you went through with Facebook, which was in a lot of ways, had a lot of similarities to what you guys were doing. You brought him in, he looked at your stuff, and then he launched Facebook. Um, and then there's a settlement, and then you find Bitcoin, and then you build Bitcoin, and then he comes back into Bitcoin. It does seem like it's a part of your life, <laughs> right? I mean, there's this dramatic arc there um, that's intriguing. For sure, but it's also true that kind of everybody is coming into crypto, and I think um, you know in the next two years, every Fang, you know, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Amazon are probably going to have their own coins or projects, and they're probably watching Libra closely to see how it fares. You know, there's going to be some hearings later this month down in you know the Capitol around this project, and they're all probably watching very closely to see how that goes. Absolutely, and one, another cool thing, if you think about it, in the social network, Mark Zuckerberg is the rebel, and you guys represent the establishment. And now, Mark Zuckerberg represents the establishment, and you guys are rebelling with a new form of money. So it's really interesting how it all flipped upside down. Well, and, and has <laughs> flipped even again, care. because now you look at, you know, these, these guys are regulated, they're well-respected, right. and it's Facebook that's getting hauled off in front of Congress seemingly every other month to well, answer another book question. Three. You're about, talking about book three. I'm talking about book three, the right. trilogy. Right. Right. Is that your next book? <laughs> but no, but I mean, really, like, you know, it seems like you're, certainly not your financial fortunes, but uh, maybe your, your social fortunes have, have flipped again, right? Now it's Zuckerberg on the defensive answering questions about what he's done and it's you guys who are out there trying to build a company, and now Zuckerberg's coming in to do what you're, you know, I mean, there's a lot of intertwining there, fellas. You have to admit. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of Libra? Uh, it's a very interesting project. Um, you know, we're definitely going to look at it. You know, Gemini's a marketplace, so we trade assets. We don't try and pick assets for you. We're not your financial advisor. Um, you know, it's very interesting. Um, it's like a currency, right? It's tied to a basket, so it has a stability to it, unlike um, Bitcoin, which is a good store of val value, and there's a lot of volatility, so you don't want to really spend it because you don't know if you're overspending. The Bitcoin pizza was the first transaction. It was, at the time, with today's prices, it would be an $80 million, or $1,220 million pizza. Yeah, I think So you don't want to spend a very good Bitcoin pizza. because you um, might be really overspending or underspending. Um, but things that are tied to real-world currencies, I think it's a very interesting project. I think, um, you know, it's been very good for crypto. It's been very good for Bitcoin. Look at the price. Um, a company of the stature of Facebook talking about the word crypto demystifies it, takes out some fear for some people. It might add other fear for different reasons, um, maybe privacy or whatnot. But the fact that a publicly traded company that's a huge part of our economy actually is doing something really serious in crypto, um, very much mainstreams it, and it's, I think it's a big win for our space. Uh, if they weren't here, would your answer have been the same? 
I think so, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, one other question. I want, I want, I'm going to get to your questions. But, but I, you know, it's also an extension because, right, um, money is the ultimate social network in the world. And so we've always thought of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency as this internet of money. So for them to add payments, and I think they've been thinking about this for a while, is kind of a logical pr progression. You know, whether or not this will be the thing that actually works and it, whether it will look like, you know, what we think it will look like is a very different matter, but I think it's a very smart move. And like Cameron said, every major tech company has to be thinking about crypto right now and has right. to be working on a project. Our bet is everyone will, Amazon, someone will announce in, you know, this is the era of private money, right? It started that way, it got regulated out 150 years or 200 years ago in the US, and then banking and the Fed system controlled the money. And now we're seeing companies saying, hey, we don't think the government is doing that good of a job. We'll do it just as well. People believe in us if we're GE 20 years ago as much as right. you know, the government. Um, and then there's you know, engineers who are just launching currencies like Bitcoin that aren't a company. So you've got these completely decentralized cryptocurrencies. You've got private cryptocurrencies like Libra, or Gemini Dollar. And then you've got you know, government currencies. And it's really cool to have that menu for people to pick from because governments have traditionally, at least outside of America, let people down. That's the next panel, because that's an entire yeah. other yeah. discussion about private money, but you're, you're right about it. And I think we're on the sort of cusp of a sea change in that. But you but gotta give me the name Libra as a little suspect. You gotta give me that, that's all. <laughs> Libra, Gemini. Yeah, it's a little bit. So <laughs> I wanna ask you, there's a scene towards the end where <laughs> your two protagonists who have this entirely, completely non-cinematic life are at the Burning Man Festival. Right. And yeah, great scene. you are around Zuckerberg, because he's there also, but you end up not, you've come very close to meeting him, but he you don't. He comes in don't. on a helicopter, I think. Yeah. He's a helicopter to make uh, as a, sandwiches. Yeah. I mean, Ben, as a writer, yeah. how much did you want them to actually be in the room <laughs> with, with Zuckerberg? Yeah. yeah. To I mean, write that so scene. So they ended up running into Dustin uh, Moskowitz, right? Yep. Who is, was the second in command of Facebook. Um, and they had a Burning Man moment, uh, a hug it out Burning yep. Man moment. Um, and he invited them to go back to his, uh, what did they call them in Burning Man? I don't know. A camp. Campground. Camp um, and that's where Zuckerberg was, handing out grilled cheese sandwiches. So they didn't go he, back. He left that part out. If he had said I, that, I would have showed up. He would have gone. <laughs> but it was a moment. It was an interesting moment. Yeah. yeah. But, but as, a, as a writer, were you dying for it to be like... Unfortunately, and, and, you know, yeah. I know you, you do fill in some blanks. There's, so, I mean, was there a temptation there's to a, you fill that You can't go too in? far with that. Yeah. I, I think that I had to stay true to the story um, there and, right. and could not bring Zuckerberg in. Yeah. And You'll save it for the next book. Sandwich. Right. No, so, when you guys do run into Mark someday at a Bitcoin conference, what will you say to him? At a Bitcoin conference? Welcome to the party. Yeah. <laughs> what took you so long? Every day. What took you so yeah. long? <laughs> That's good. All right. On that note, let's do some questions. Uh, some of you gave names. Some of you didn't. But I thought this one was pretty humorous. Question. Would one of you, and I'm sorry, Ben, I don't think they're actually asking. I, I'm yeah. guessing already. Uh, would one of you run for president and have your brother be your vice president? <laughs> <laughs> And then the, the follow-up question is, who's running for, who's at the top of the ticket? Well, Tyler's the CEO, and I'm the president of Gemini, so I work for him. Um, he was gracious enough to hire me five years ago, so <laughs> the next time I'm going to flip it around. 
Yeah. <laughs> but if we won for eight years and then flipped it, it would be 16 years, right? <laughs> you wouldn't really know, so. Wow. You could have four right. terms. The Winklevoss. Uh, <laughs> I like let's it. See. Let's see, let's see, let's see. <laughs> We've never thought about that. <laughs> oh, what do you make of Facebook's cryptocurrency? We asked that one already here. Uh, okay, this is good. What crypto assets do you think will still be around in 15 years? Mm. I think Bitcoin. Bitcoin um, and Ethereum or something like it. Yeah. Um, in that design space, like creating a decentralized computer for the internet. Uh, it'll be Ethereum or, or maybe there'll be a few. You think of like iOS, Microsoft, Android. There's a few of those operating systems. Um, so there'll be something like that. Zcash is pretty interesting because it's basically Bitcoin with privacy. Um, and there's a couple other exciting projects out and there. Libra, but do you think Libra will be? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, I guess the, the, interesting question, the, the interesting aspect of that question is how entrenched do you think this market is already that you could pick the survivors in 15 years now? I think, I think Bitcoin has a very likely possibility because if you think it, gold has been around for 3,000 years, so you know, if it is the digital gold and it doesn't you know, screw it up, um, it'll be here for thousands of years, I think. Right. I think first mover advantage for networks, and that's ultimately mm -hmm. what these are, their networks, is, is very strong. You don't have to be perfect, um, but if you're first, the network effects, the people who build infrastructure, Gemini supports that coin. Uh, it's not trivial to support another coin necessarily. Um, and people start building applications on top of it. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, you know, Bitcoin's been the leaders for the last decade. Uh, there's been a ton of challengers. Ether has been around since Ethereum's 2013. I, I think, you know, it's their lose. They can, they can fumble it. But um, generally the things that are earlier, if they're good enough, stick around. I just want to... For people who don't really un know Bitcoin that well, the idea of Bitcoin and gold, simplify it, I think. The idea is you invest in gold, it goes up in value because people perceive it to be valuable and rare, um, and so it's a store of value. Um, so when economies go bad or governments, war happens, the value of gold goes up because you don't trust dollars anymore. Similarly, you buy Bitcoin um, and think of it, it's worth whatever we all agree it's worth but it's a store of value that you can carry around on your phone or, or right. tattoo to your arm or whatever. That little number you get is your Bitcoin. So it's like carrying your vault of gold around with you, but you can also transfer it instantly. So when they say that it's gold but better, right. that's essentially what they mean. Right, because gold is scarce, but right. Bitcoin's fixed at 21 million. Right. There's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin. There can never be more. That's guaranteed by math behind Bitcoin. While the supply of gold changes when you find a new mine or one day we'll get an asteroid full of gold. I mean, that's what people are right, working yeah. on right now. Um, so the amount of gold can change, but the amount of Bitcoin can't. Right. Um, so and it's far more portable right. than And gold. a lot of people say, oh, but gold is useful. The reality is no. Um, <laughs> gold isn't used for very much except for jewelry, and it's only useful in jewelry because it's valuable. Right. It's not the other way around. It's not valuable because it's jewelry. It's just shiny. And these projects are constantly evolving. They have communities of developers who update them, upgrade them. So when Bitcoin first launched, like it looks so much different today. Like the code base, um, the founder Satoshi Nakamoto, no one knows who he, she, they are. 
but their fingerprints, his or her fingerprints, are on less than like a few percent of the code. So it's a living organism that is growing and evolving. It's not just like stationary. So that's why I think it can continue to stay in the lead. As long as there's a need for a fixed digital gold type product, I think it's, you know, yeah. Bitcoin's to lose. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Another question. How do you see Gemini and other exchanges solving the problem of the bankless population in the U.S. and overseas? Somebody from Facebook wrote that. <laughs> it's a great question. There's, you know, a lot, like millions of underbanked people in this country alone and probably a billion plus unbanked people around the world. And crypto is really the only technology that we've seen that could help solve that problem and potentially bank these people, bring them into the system. Um, bank branches are not going to be built in those parts of the world. If they were, they'd already be there for now. Um, so we have a mobile app, um, so you can download it on any smartphone, Google, Android, or Apple, um, and start there. Um, right, if you download, if you have a data connection, an internet connection, and you can download an app, then you can store your Bitcoin, and that is your bank account. That's your on wallet. the Gemini mobile app. Um, so all of a sudden, you have a bank account when JP Morgan's never gonna build a branch in wherever you are in the developing world, it's too expensive, right? And micropayments can't happen because the current system's too expensive. But Bitcoin is like email. You can send 10 cents to someone from here to Sri Lanka right now. Instantly, it's 24-7, 365. Um, so it never, it never closes. It doesn't work on banking hours. Imagine if your email was open 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. It'd be great. We'd have our weekends back and our lives back. But our money actually works like that in the digital internet age. And that's insane. If you want to get money from New York to London on a Friday night, you go to JFK, jump on a plane with a bag of cash. You get it there quicker, because if you wire it, it gets there Monday, if there's a bank holiday, Tuesday, and you play, pay a clip. And that's how money works, and that it's actually broken. So that was the aha moment for us. This is money that works like your email. Like, you they know, were how, in a visa, yeah. right, and they're, they get to their villa and haven't paid for their villa. Right. Because the money is slower than the plane. Which is absurd. Right. Yeah. So we jumped on a plane, went back. No, no, we didn't do that. Okay, here's another one. This is a, a little bit of a, a manifesto, it seems like, from Adam P. The weight of economic sanctions wielded by the United States have proven to be one of its most powerful weapons in its arsenal, enforceable through a centralized banking system. How will the development and adoption of decentralized cryptocurrency affect, I guess, it, you left out it, Adam, affect it in this regard? It's a great question. Um, to shut down Bitcoin, you have to shut down the internet. You basically have to become North Korea. Um, and no country is going to, well, some countries will do that, like North Korea. Like North but Korea. no country wants to be North Korea. They don't aspire to that. Right. Um, so you really have to opt in. Um, and so Bitcoin can actually get through the great firewall of China. Um, it can get to these places with regimes that are oppressive. And, and that's overall, we think, a good thing. Um, currencies are usually used to manipulate populations by governments. Um, so that may go away, but I don't know that that's necessarily a negative thing. But the price to be left out of this revolution is too great. No country is going to risk letting this go somewhere else. Um, so, you know, that was what we thought originally. Like, how, does, how do we kill this idea? How does Bitcoin not work? And you have to snip the internet cables for it not... So we, you know, that was our game of chicken, that this is going to work. They're going to have to play with it. 
what services do exchanges need to offer in the future to stay competitive? What kind of crypto exchanges? Yeah. Oh, well, they, they didn't um, specify the unnamed. I guess the coins that people but, want to trade, right? Um, yeah. Um, what our customers want. But, you know, we see a world where there's Bitcoin, but also private securities will start trading on blockchains. So if you want to buy a share in the Dunkin' Donuts on the corner, you'll be able to trade that or buy that on Gemini because the compliance will be baked into the blockchain. Currently now it's too hard. Lawyers trade too much red lines. It's expensive. It's like snail mail if you want to trade like your share of a Dunkin' Donuts with someone else or your share in a hedge fund or a PE fund. But that can all be put onto the blockchain and computers can do that logic so that all of a sudden the secondary of private capital formation can be online. And guess what? That amount of capital is bigger than the capital in the public market. So put Facebook, Apple, you know, Dow Jones, index, all that money, it's actually bigger on the private thing. And we think that will come online with blockchain and cryptocurrency technology. So one day at Gemini, you might be trading Bitcoin, but also a share of Apple, but also a share in your local barista. What is the biggest problem or problems facing crypto today? What are your current problems? Aman, Aman, Aman B, or Aram B, one or the other. Same question. Yeah, I think education, honestly, has been one of the biggest challenges. Um, when we got into crypto, it was all about Silk Road, and you'll read about that in Bitcoin Billionaires. People thought it was only used for drugs and bad illicit activity. The U.S. dollar has never been used for bad stuff. Right. And, and technology... It's more crimes than anything. Like, <laughs> terrorists actually use email. Does it, you know, we don't outlaw email, right? Yeah. Exactly. Technology has been co-opted by bad actors. It's not bad technology. It's agnostic. Um, and so there's, there's these false narratives and this idea that Bitcoin's truly anonymous is also incorrect. In fact, it's probably too open and not private enough in some senses. And that's maybe one of the challenges that it'll come up against um, in the future. Um, so I think it's always been an education thing. And once people understand, oh, what, there's actually a safe way to engage in this technology. There's regulated places like Gemini. I can go and buy it. Um, that changes the narrative. Yeah, and if you, it's, it's also like an age gap, no offense, but talk to a millennial. They live- You could look this way when you say that, no <laughs> offense. <laughs> I can't see anyone in the lights. Um, but millennials live online. You know, they are always online. It used to be like, I'm going online. Now it's like, I'm going offline for a second or for a 30 minutes break yeah. and I'm going back on. They play Fortnite, they play games, digital credits. Like when you tell them about Bitcoin, they're like, of course. They don't they go totally to music get festivals. They go to music festivals on Fortnite right. to watch DJ Marshmello right. spin electronic music inside this electronic world. And so they understand right. uh, crypto. It's so pieces of paper in a wallet are crazy. Then like vinyl records, you know, why would anybody use that? <laughs> um, so that's not a hard sell. And crypto enables like microtransactions, right? Fast, lightweight payments. So the Internet of Things, all these devices are all of a sudden going to trade crypto. Self-driving cars that pick you up will trade another car with crypto to get out of the way if you're in a rush. That can't happen with ACH and Fedwire. Um, those machines can plug into protocols. They can't get bank accounts, unless it's maybe Wells Fargo. Yeah. Um, but like, <laughs> it enables, it's, 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 not, it's not competing with the current system, it's a new color, right? Um, it allows us to do things that the current system can't contemplate because it's money 
credit cards, ACH wire, built by bankers before the internet ever existed. So it's really square peg, round hole. That's why money on the internet is sucked forever. Because yeah. it's been like, oh, how do we get this banking system of wires and whatever onto the internet? And Bitcoin is the first money that's built by the same people who built the internet, so it's purpose-built for it, and it works like your email. And that's going to enable things that the current system can't even think. So cryptocurrency is good for humans, but it's really meant for machines. Uh, this could be a whole other whole other mm -hmm. panel, but I'll ask it anyhow. Well, let's try to answer it quickly. Uh, as econ majors, and I assume they're talking to you guys. Are you an econ major? I am not. Okay, me neither. So this is not addressed to us. As econ majors, why do you think the criticisms of Bitcoin by economists such as Noriel Rubini and Joseph Stieglitz is, is, are, is, whatever, misguided? I think Noriel is a no-coiner. He just doesn't have any Bitcoin. Yeah. He's got FOMO. <laughs> He's got... There's a lot of that. People really missed out. You know, Silicon Valley, but also uh, a lot of economic journalists, not, you know, other than you and Popper and a couple other yeah. people, nobody was covering this. And it kind it's of true. exploded out of nowhere. And the only people who knew about it were crazy libertarian anarchists and drug dealers and these guys. Um, and it was pretty much, <laughs> it was a secret thing. So I think right. that these guys now are coming to it late and saying, oh, this must be tulips. This must be a bubble. This must be yeah. a scam. And they're looking worse and worse every year. And pe people uh, want to take a snapshot in time now. And it's not over, it's still evolving. So when one Tesla lights on fire on the road, it's like front page news, 50,000 GM cars burn in fires every year. It's not even, it doesn't even make the paper. Yeah. But new technology is held to an unfair standard. And I also think that macroeconomists, um, that field has really kind of veered into the culture wars. So it becomes this political thing and people pick sides or want to be, you know, want to be a contrarian. But I think, um, you know, it's still really early. No one's saying Bitcoin's perfect. You know, LeBron James was, in high school wasn't LeBron James today. Um, still in high school, you know, it's teething. Um, and Bitcoin very much is, is like that. It's only 10 years old, um, you know, so it's not where it is now. It's sort of like, you know, where, where's the puck going, right? And can you picture Army Hammer now talking like this? Because I think that would be really cool. Are you announcing something there? <laughs> no, yeah, we're, we're, I, there will, there, I think there will be a Bitcoin billionaires movie. Um, do. I do. I think it's the next step. And uh, there's a really great situation. So it's going to be really, really cool. Um, and hopefully our Army will come back and play these guys. And it would be really neat to see. All right. Well, on that note, since it's 830 and since you have a book signing after this, uh, gentlemen, thank you very much. Everyone, thank you very much for coming out tonight. Thanks for listening. 92i Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations at 92yondemand.org.